What's up, Mark? Hey, Brian. How are you, man? We're live, man. We just roll right into it now. Oh, we just wow. roll right into it. I used to do this big intro, this big wind up, you know, very uh, late show esque, but now we just kick it right off. Well, you know, there's no time like the present. <laughs> exactly. Well, I should at least explain who you are to people watching. Well, you I'm, are I'm, the great Mark Free. I, I, I guess you <laughs> stop right there. Yeah, I feel like they're yeah. not the amazing Kreskin here, you know. <laughs> Mark Free, founder, founder, yes, yeah, mm -hmm. of of Positone Records, man, a great, absolutely swinging label out on the West Coast. Uh, people listening, if you if you are into just absolutely swinging jazz, um, that sounds like it was made in the 21st century. That sounds like it was part of 2020. Then, if you don't already know. Positone Records. You should definitely check them out. But anyway, Mark Free himself is Mr. Positone. I was going to say California-based, but I don't know where you are now, man. No, no, it's we're definitely. I'm, I'm definitely from California. I mean, that the whole thing started out here. It's still here. You know, I mean, we're kind of uh, scrambling around in the midst of the new abnormal here, but whatever. Yeah. And then my my business partner Nick did relocate to to the uh, sunny climes of of Oregon. A couple okay. of weeks back, so we do some remote stuff, but uh, no, no, it's uh, it's definitely still California, and uh, definitely the thing. And you know, it, it's um, it, it's strange talking uh, uh, about the label. I, I get asked these, you know, kind of questions about uh, the the sound of things, and it is a it is a thing, you know, to 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 do these things for so long, and that things, you know, do evolve, and to try to. Uh, to create a brand that someone can can rely upon and and, yeah. and trust and say, well, you know, I never heard of these emerging artists that are on this label, but uh, I tend to like it because this producer produced the record. It's on this label, and you know that's how I felt about a lot of labels in the past, and that was the type of thing that I tried to do. And it it kind of seems very absent from um, from the world we're in now. Uh, it feels mm. like now, like everything is very. Uh, artist-driven kind of uh, DIY sort of right. uh, situation. Um, right. Yeah. And there's a place for that, you know, oh, and, yeah. you know, oh, so yeah. much great music has come out of that, but you're right. You know, something where, you know, there's an imprimatur on this, there's a cosign on this, this sound, this brand has been curated, you know, and a style you can rely on, you know, whereas you pick up a Positone CD and you say, you know what, I know I'm going to dig this. Um, well, thank you. So, thank yeah. We appreciate you doing that, man. I, I to to go uh, two steps further with that. I would say, first of all, like you know, in honor of the DIY thing, it was the DIY yeah. revolution that gave me the ability to start this label. You know, the access right. to be able to make CDs and not be, you know, some major imprimatur who was a part of a major label who got a, a boutique or an imprint or whatever. Right. So the same DIY thing that allowed me to make a CD for my band was the same thing that allowed me to decide uh, as a result of another whole other story of things to, to start a label, you know, uh, and uh, the label was a very underground notion for, for a lot of years while I was a working musician. And uh, after I kind of stopped playing as much and started focusing energy, it became more of a thing where, Oh, well, what do we need to do? And, and, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as a certain part, like, you know, one thing my business partner, Nick O'Toole, and I have in common is that we have a strong affection for, for business. And in that way, I mean that in the sense of that 
these things about business, people want to act like it's a brand new day or all different, but it's not. These principles right. are still the same principles. So right. to create a brand that a listener, consumer, whatever term we're using, can can trust or rely upon is a, is a thing that we experience throughout the marketplace with all kinds of products, whether it's shoes or food or whatever. And we all have preferences and, and things that we insist upon. And, and, and you try to get to that point where you, 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 you've created some of that. Now that doesn't mean that you don't throw a little to the left or a little to the right once in a while and, 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 and try to stretch things. I, I like to do that. I like to try to expand people's uh, tastes a bit, but I, I do feel that, um, well, there's this term that's always used straight ahead jazz. I'm sure right. I've heard this, this dreaded state straight ahead <laughs> jazz phrase, um, uh, which is a fine phrase in principle, but it's one of these things where it gets used 17 different ways and never really defined. Right. Like swing. Right. And, and, uh, and, uh, and then it is. So we kind of years ago, we changed it to straightforward. And, 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 okay. So that's really what we're kind of about is about this kind of straightforward thing. So for me, you know, I was talking with somebody. He's like, "Well, I think about you guys this kind of, you know, uh, post bop label with all this." And so it starts talking about something. And I'm like, "And I'm like, I'm like, why do we use this term post bop? Is this a helpful term?" <laughs> I mean, hard hard bop meant something to me. Cool meant something to me. You know, beat right? But post bop is like this, like kind of a catch all. It's a funnel. That, like, yeah. Everything else just kind of goes in there, like okay, it happened afterwards. So after, I, <laughs> yeah, it just I, means after the stroke of nineteen forty something. And I and I said this to this person, and they're like, "Well, you know, what would you call it?" And like, I'm like, I'm like, I can't say what it all is because some of it's world influenced and some yeah. of it's electronic, and so. But for me, for us, we do melodic, yep. non-diatonic music. That's what we're focused on: melodic, non-diatonic music. It's like the music that you hear. Uh, that it kind of grew through all those other phases and arrived at something that has a very present melody, a, yep. a strong melodic sense that you might even be able to hum or whistle, who knows, Right. but over some extremely sophisticated or complex non-diatonic changes. And this is music that I hear, you know, like the music of Wayne Shorter from the 60s or Herbie Hancock yep. or even John Coltrane on like Crescent. You know, the thing it's kind of the thing that came after modal jazz and it's kind of where it was going but it's a very difficult kind of music. You have to be really, very talented and have a strong sense of melody. So it's not like, oh, I got a million chops or, oh, I have a strong sense of harmony. You have to take all that plus it's this kind of singing aspect and you have to put yep. them. And, and that's really important. Secondly, I think there is a strong stress on, on ensemble playing at, at the label. Uh, as the producer, I can tell you that, uh, that there really is a, a great deal of, of effort put into trying to create the most amount of interaction and and for the consumers out there, and I, I guess that's the other part to say, like, you know, I have like two roles. My first role is when I'm in the studio and working with these guys, I'm there to advocate for the listener. I'm there to like try to help the listener get something that they're going to be able to enjoy and be able to understand and connect with. Right. Uh, I'm not there to make musicians music. Um, on the other side, when I'm on this side of it, well, here I'm here to advocate for the artists. So now it's it's the balance between the two. So it's an ensemble thing. And in this ensemble thing, I find that talking to people that they say to me, I say, well, what part of the thing did you like the best? And they're like, oh, I like the part where everybody was playing. You know, they like the uh, they right. like, like the arrangement and the ensemble. So that's where you put the emphasis. So it's really important to have a good composition, to have a good arrangement. That's why there's a strong stress on trying to trying to 
encourage these people to write their most challenging and strong uh, original music and compositions, or if they're going to play somebody else's music, to try to do something very uh, interesting with it. Um, you know, different. Yeah, man. I think those are all great reference points too. And one of the things I was going to bring up uh, before you did was when I think positone, I always think rooted in melody. You know, so for people out there who, you know, again, like myself, I'm a card carrying member of the Melody Club. Like that's just what I, I gravitate toward. But like I said in the beginning, it sounds like, you know, music in the 21st century. So, you know, these are not, you know, uh, contrafacts, rearrangements of standards. I mean, this is, you know, progressive music, straightforward is a good way to put it because it's, it's absolutely looking forward. Uh, you know, the Miles second quintet is a good touchstone. Wayne is a good touchstone. You know, Booker Little. little um, people like that. If that is your cup of tea, you're thinking Positone um, as well. Let's take it back to the beginning, Mark. You know, because you mentioned you were a player and then kind of set that aside. First of all, what did you play? Did you play? Uh, I was originally a bass player. Oh, okay. And then I became a, a guitar player because I was just trying to get as much work as possible. Um, plus the, the guitar was, the guitar was a, you know, a compositional tool. Um, yeah. But you know, I, w I was, I was lucky, you know, I mean, I was like uh, other people my age, I'm in my early fifties and, you know, I'm as a kid in high school who was, you know, into rock and, and, you know, we grew up, cut our teeth on, you know, the Beatles and Zeppelin and the doors and whatever. And by the time I got to high school, it's like, we were all crazy about like rush, you know, Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> yes, rock, you know, crazy thing like that and um i, I uh, you know was doing these things and i had got this rush songbook uh you know i was really excited about and i had gone in to get my access to the piano in the choir room at my high school because i sang in the choir and did musicals and did all those other things too and yeah. i was playing this thing and our teacher was this incredible guy george Grimm, uh who i mean talk about sight reading this guy could score read i don't know if people know what that means but like literally means like eight staves of music he could yeah. just whole thing at one time like this and and so we said oh well hey here let's put this complicated rush music in front of greb and see if he can play it and so we put the song natural science by rush off there of a permanent waves record for him and he starts playing oh this this is this is quite interesting to <laughs> he gets to the second section which is called hyperspace and it's like din, 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 and he stops going whoa this is just a dave brubeck ripoff that's what he says oh and, <laughs> and so like, that <laughs> i'm like i'm like what did you say and he's like, oh, and then, and then he proceeds to play Blue Ronda Al a Turk for us. Yeah. And I'm like, and it sent you down the wormhole. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, that was well, it had already been in the home. My mother uh, loved jazz and this was, it was always there, you know, like the the the, the Miles uh, Carnegie concert is next to the Bob Dylan yes. Freemasonry record in the record collection of my mother's. Good taste. Uh, so that, that's it's all it's all there, but but this like semi down the world. So like so I, I was in it then then a few weeks later I went over to go jam at this guy's house. <clears throat> we were gonna play. He was a drummer. My friend really wanted me to, us to play with. And we went over there. We get there and they got like a studio in the back of the house. And I'm looking, there's like these gold records on the wall. Like, okay. And I'm like, okay, Christopher Cross and Joni Mitchell and Steely Dan. And, and I'm looking, I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, I'm like, Wh whose records? And he goes, he goes, he goes, oh, those are my dad's. And I'm like, who the is your dad? Yeah. His dad was Victor Feldman. Um, oh. and, and so I, I threw his son, Trevor, uh, I, I became friends with his father and his father became like really my first great jazz mentor. And he took wow. me. There's a many, many stories. And this was where in LA? Did you grew up in Los Angeles yeah. in like 1982, 83. Yeah. And uh, uh, they had a studio there and like, 
you know, Victor saw that I had an interest in these things. I mean, my interest in being a producer goes back even further than that. But um, when I was nine, my mother asked me what I wanted to be, thinking he would say, you know, president or fireman. <laughs> I said, I want, to, I want to be George Martin. And I was like, and she's like, wouldn't you rather be Paul McCartney? And I'm like, yeah, Paul's great. And I, he's amazing. But like, I would rather work with more people and have my privacy or something. You know, Right. You want to be on the other side of the glass. Yeah, I'm more of an introverted person than yeah. I Yeah. But, uh, so anyways, if I had known who Alfred Lyon was, maybe I had said that instead. But the point is that I already had an affinity for this process. Of that, and Victor took me under his wing and they had sessions at the house. And I got to see like he showed me like how he how he got the charts together, how he rehearsed the group, how they mic'd the piano that he had learned from Van Gelder. And then he took me along with him because his sons had all done it. He took me with him on some of these like scoring dates because he worked as a studio musician. So I got to see that then. The biggest thing was that in the 1984, we had the Olympics here in Los Angeles, and he was charged with music directing part of the opening ceremonies, which involved, for those of you old enough to have seen it, was 84 grand pianos playing Rhapsody in Blue in the turnstile of the album. <laughs> and so, had, of course, they had to pre-record the thing, but he was the person in charge of getting that together, and it was a really amazing thing to go to this, go to A&M yeah. in, in Hollywood and see like it was about 25 of these pianos and all these heavy guys all in there yeah. all laying this thing together it was really incredible. And, uh, but so I learned, I learned a lot from Victor and he would send me home with records and, and stuff like that. And I, you know, learned about, you know, his time with in England before and coming and playing with cannonball and playing with miles. And anyways, that's a huge thing. And I was lucky enough then to go to college at Berkeley where mm. Muscarella was, who now started the jazz school. She was totally instrumental in helping me. And, uh, you know, so I've just been really lucky that these mentors have been there. I came back to L.A. and I became friends. The kind of world stage was happening in South Central L.A., this place that it was started by Billy Higgins, who was a great guy. Yeah. Um, I, I did spend time with Billy, but not as much as I spent with his friend, Horace Tapscott, the piano player, who yeah, was, sure. was an incredible influence on me, where each of these people like showed me a different aspect of the, the, the thing, you know, and uh, it really, you know, set me up in a way that like I understood uh, things from a firsthand way that it was really, you know, the beginning of things. So at that time, so when I was had come back to LA after college and I was playing and stuff like that, my mother had this house in Venice and there was a deserted building in back that was basically like the, the landlord had given up on. Okay. Well, great. So we, we tore down the stuff that was the boards on the backside and we went in there and we gutted the place and we built a studio. And uh, so I had this studio and we're studying all this stuff. And I, 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 I started making recordings for people. Most of them were like rock demos or other stuff like that and doing various stuff. And through a weird happenstance of stuff, and I, I loved jazz, and I, I was playing all kinds of gigs, jazz, rock, whatever, you know, just trying to work, singer-songwriter gigs and stuff. And I this idea well, I would be great with to make a, a thing about Rudy Van Gelder because uh, I, I admired how he worked, and it was different when he worked with Prestige and when he worked with Riverside. So anyways, the point is I tried to get Rudy to do a documentary uh, and I talked to him on the phone for like three hours a couple of times. It it's, was a, a really strange thing because he would tell you, I won't talk about this. I won't talk. You know, and then he would, of course, talk about it himself. Yeah. But so in the end, like after we talked about these things and, you know, these very technical discussions of like why prestige, like I said, is different than Bluna. And and he was really amazed that like I had, you know, spent this time in preparation. He's like, and he says, like, well, I'm still working. I don't think it's time. That's for people who are retired and I'm working. I might write a book. He goes, but you you should be running a jazz label. You know more about this stuff than these people who wow. to work with. It's kind of a command performance. And I was like, well, 
that'd be great, but I'm, I'm working all the time. But I did start to, well, I guess I could start recording jazz records. So I started recording jazz records. I started with like my guy who had been my guitar teacher. I, I recorded a record for him, Ed Wing. And then Just I- in, in your in the, like your abandoned building or? Yeah, in this building that we converted. Yeah. To, I mean, we, when, we, when I say we, we got it, we got it. We built a, a studio room and a control room and we wired the whole place up. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was a decent studio. Yeah. Uh, but so I started doing this. And so like for the first, you know, 10 years, like we're putting out like an album or two or three kind of underground, you know, until like said 2003 or so. And in 2004, um, we had made a couple like remote things before um, that I had done one thing at UCLA, another thing at uh, the world stage where I did, I did record one. So then we decided, well, we'll go to the jazz bakery, which was a big venue in LA at the time. And my friend who uh, I got to know through, other people was Sam Rivers. And so we recorded a Sam Rivers live album okay. uh, at the bakery on Sam's 80th birthday. It's called Celebration. And that was kind of really the beginning of this next phase uh, of, of the label where I was, had really it's kind of slowed down on playing and I was doing some other stuff. Now, funnily enough, like I said, because it's Sam Rivers, this was a group where he and Anthony Cole and Doug Matthews played drums, bass, and that there was, you know, really a very small trip, but they would all trade instruments. Like wow. Sam would play piano, and <laughs> would play sax, and Doug would switch to bass clarinet, or they'd play three horns. It was a crazy group. Yeah, because they could all do everything. Yeah. So, but yeah. so I laugh when people like are like, "Oh, we're some very conservative, straight ahead, whatever." Did I? I'm like, I'm like, you should really go back and listen to that. <laughs> yeah. There's this Sam Rivers record in there, and there's John Street's first record is in there, and 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 I say, and they're like, and they look at me like, and I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, because if it's good, it's good. That's the yeah. deal. Yeah, well, that's really the test. But so, uh, so through the thing getting started, like you know, with a couple of people that I kind of worked with. My one friend was an engineer, was the drummer in my band. He was the original engineer. He still helps me out and does packaging and some stuff for me now. Uh, Jamie Brunson, he's a great guy. Um, and we had another guy's helping me. I, but so then I met Nick O'Toole in two thousand and one, and through a mutual friend, when I was producing jazz concerts in Santa Monica, some live shows. Um, which we did a recording from one of those that's out. Uh, but he and I said, well, we should give a run at this, you know, but I kind of given up on the LA jazz scene in a sense of there were great players. Right. But, but these guys were making a killing playing other people's music. They were not right. going to sacrifice of, yeah. <laughs> of, of being a, a career jazz musician. So Nick and I talked and I had been spending a lot of time in New York because I had been, uh, dating this woman, I was going back and forth in a bi-coastal relationship, and I spent a lot of time up there. And I had become very acquainted with a lot of people. I was like, "Well, um, we could go to New York and record the records, and then finish them back in LA and do whatever." And so that that became the plan. And uh, Mr. O'Toole and I went out there in the fall of 2005, and uh, we've been doing it ever since. And uh, you know, I think we've done almost uh, 200 records now, and yeah 25 this is your 25th anniversary 2020 because you started in 95 put out a great album positone swing tet kind of in celebration um featuring some of the major and that's the thing you div you see artists again and again on the positone label you know which is cool it, it, it's like you have this bull bullpen of great players who you know contribute to this style and who continue to evolve this style um, who, who is, I guess the longest tenured musician on Positone, you know, off the top of your head, who's been with you the longest? 
Well, there's this. Well, yes, the longest is a guy named David Ake, a piano player named David Ake. Yeah, David's great. Uh, I, I've known him since '96. Uh, he first appeared on a Phil Ferris record, and then he, he had his own record. Um, and he went off to become work at University of Nevada, Reno. So we didn't do anything for a while. Then he came back and he's put out uh, three records, I think, since uh, Bridges and uh, Lake Effect and then Humanities. Um, so we're still working together. We're very good friends. He, he'll probably do a record here, another one soon. We're talking about doing one, but the, we were going to do one in June, but it got dashed by uh, the COVID situation. Right, right. We may, we may yet find a way. Um, but uh, but uh, well, that's the, but but let's go back to what you're saying about about the the, the bullpen as you call it. So, <laughs> so Billy, just, yeah, World Series just wrap them in a baseball. Oh, no, I'm, I'm there. I'm right there. There's, there's a big big blue day. Um, there right. you go. But uh, Billy Higgins, um, who I had the privilege of spending time with, you know, he really used to stress these things about about melody. Uh, you know, like he was like a drummer. You should hear the melody of the song in the drum solo. Or yeah. You know, they're not really playing, you know. He's like, I don't want to be the guy who ends the solo goes da da da. You know, okay, now it's time to come back in. He's like, I want you to hear the melody and know like right. where the end of the chart is, and now we're at the top. Right. You know, but Bill, I like to talk to Billy, and Billy talked to me a lot about what it was like to work with Alfred Lyon. That's a lot of the stuff that I learned about Alfred was firsthand from cats who were there, who were still in LA, who came through. Whether it was you know Jackie McLean or Billy, the guys who I met through these people, and and Billy, you know, stressed to me this idea of like that. You know, Alfred would get him and give him like a, a, a deal and say, you're going to do, you know, 10 records or whatever. And it would be him and, and, and Butch Warren and Herbie Hancock. They're the house rhythm section. I always thought this was a, this is a great idea of way to do things because people are not always the greatest at making these decisions about, about that. But what it really kind of uh, morphed into is kind of uh, more of an Orson Welles concept uh, to me. It's more of repertory theater to me at this point. Um, there really is this kind of thing of like having a company of performers right. and, and putting someone in the lead one time and putting them in a supporting role one time and having somebody else write something for a play that they're not even in sometimes and all of these type of things because everybody has something different to bring to the equation. And, and you know, I, I, I do like to present uh, new talent, young people, like the emerging talent. I'm not really like, I'm going to find somebody who's already big and get them on the label. That would not be what we're trying to do. Um, it would not be the extension of, of the Alfred Lyon, uh, Frank Wolf playbook either, because all these great names that are on Blue Note that we know and love that are household, like Herbie and Wayne and Lee and Grant Green, but they, they, they were all emerging talent when they made those records. Freddie Hubbard, when they made those right. records on Blue Note. Yeah, you know, and and like I said, learning from those guys, having spoken with these cats, really let you know, you know, that there was a certain attitude of, you know, Alfred would put Bobby on this record, or he would say, no, Grant Green is going to be on this record, or you're going to use this rhythm section on the record. Like that was really part of. So I noted that, but like this with the repertory theater of of cats, the other thing that it does that is really missing, and and I'm I can't stress it because I for the for the musicians out there, when I was growing up. All I wanted to do was hang out with the old guys, clearly, and, right. and have them say, you're cool. Hey, let's play you some music that you should hear. Like, I mean, a Horace Tapscott playing me, uh, you know, a Sonny Rollins plus four, and we're listening to, you know, Vols Hot. And we're, I'm like, oh, this is so good. You know, like, and yeah. you know, he introducing me to things like Gigi Grice Social Call or whatever yeah. that they're super into. Like, and then like, then you're at the house and like, 
hey, well, why don't you, you know, let's play something. You're like, oh, cool, I'm playing with them. But like, it was, you're just, all you want to do is be around these guys and get this kind of oral tradition instruction, direct, you know, absorbing the wisdom and experience, learning that way. We didn't go to jazz schools. We didn't, we didn't have four-year educations in these things. And and now these a lot of these people who do have these four-year educations that they spent a lot of money on have had a lot of validation about how great they are and how much they know. Right. Teachers who are paid to tell them that and, and right. them. Um, they tend to only want to play with their peers. Yeah. Right. And, and I see some of these guys who like they've done three or four DIY records with this one band. And I suggest to them, well, that's great. Let's use these other guys. Like, oh no, no, that's, that's my band. That's where, and I, I want to say to them, like, you know, Einstein said, if you keep doing the same thing and expect different results, that's the definition of insanity. Right. Um, but what they really need is cross pollination. Right. That, that's the thing. And so what the, the repertory company of people and kind of allows us for this cross pollination of ideas and styles and, yeah. and all these other things. Yeah, and I brought some cats up here because you're so right. I mean, it just brings in that many more colors to your palette, you yeah. know. And so, I mean, this is even the way it's displayed on your site. It's like this is your repertory, you know. This is your, you know, and and it's been awesome getting to know these musicians and again seeing them evolve and contribute to other people's projects. Um, yeah. And like you're saying, it's not like you know, it's the same faces over and again. You are constantly kind of spotlighting new talent. Um, you know, Roxy Cost just put out a great album for you guys. And going yeah. back, seeing what's coming. Alexa Tarantino, who has that new album, Clarity Out, is fantastic. Um, and then you have these just like on this page, just kind of repertory piece here. Tales Wonder, jazz celebration of Stevie Wonder yeah. featuring, you know, all the usual cats, man. It's, it's a very cool way to think about producing jazz records in yeah. 2020, man. Well, I just yeah. think the biggest thing to, to take away from the thing on some level is that like everybody's listening to everybody else. Right. It really sucks to go to a gig and then watch somebody like walk off the bandstand and get a drink or cigarette or look at their cell phone or try to talk to some girl. It doesn't look like they really are focused on what's going by the same token. It really stinks when a leader is reading music off of, off a music stand at their own gig you know, I mean, there's just a certain level of kind of like preparation and interaction and stuff that is part of the experience that, you know, we're trying to foster with people. And, you know, you know, a lot of those people, you know, it's like people come and they work with us for a while and maybe they move on. Maybe they go on to do their own thing again. I mean, that's all part of it. You know, it's like I, the collaborational thing is great. And, you know, somebody else, you know, who was with us, you know, maybe they went on to do something bigger. And I, I, I've seen these people later and they say, oh, you know, that record we did, did a, I really love that record. I still, and I'm like, yeah, I really love that record too. And, th and that's, and that's the big part of it is that like the, the working together in this way, a more hands-on way that there doesn't seem to be a lot of producers doing and having this kind of series of relationships, because for me personally, not just talking about music, but like everything we want in life involves relationships. If there's something we want, we either have to start a relationship, change a relationship or end a relationship. Yeah. You know? always involves that so like this way of like dealing with things that we the relationship is like everything like you know it's like you're trying to do this this journey and sometimes the journey goes on for a long time and sometimes it, it's, it's you take a couple of trips together and that's it but you know some of these people like on that on the site you had up there the people like that you know like like steve davis or 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 uh, or or Oren evans or or jim like these are guys who are making records for somebody else and i thought 
but we could be making better records. So we had, we worked together, we learned from each other and, and then, you know, people go on and do other things. You know, they got, they go to smoke sessions, they go to, and I'm happy for them. And like, they're like, right. oh, I'm like, no, I made these great records. They're making great records. It's fantastic. But that's the thing. It's like, there is no competition. And if there's a real relationship, you know, if you love someone, you'll always love them. You, you right. want them to succeed. You want them, like, so you're trying to create the best, you know, takeaway for the, for the artists and for the listeners. And so for the listeners, you know, you want to create a bunch of people that they can go and discover and, and, and follow these things and and follow the course of them into other things. Like when you ask like who the longest tenured person was, you know, it was David A. But the person, you know, sometimes we think, well, who's done, you know, the most amount of records, you know? Yeah. And I think at the moment, I think that title belongs to Art Hirahara. Um, oh, awesome. And, yeah. and I- Great I, piano I, player. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I don't know that I have a number of them, but I think, I think we're up over 30 records. I think, I think Rudy Royston is wow. chasing, chasing behind him in the twenties somewhere, but, uh, but our art is really besides his own like six records as a leader and these other things that he's done. Um, you know, he, he, he was a sideman for Sean Noel or Nick Hempton, or he's been on, you know, with Tom Tolich. I mean, I've just like, and the level of communication that happens with all these people and people know these people. And then of course they, they work together, they do other things, they play gigs, they, and it's the same thing. And so, you know, now I've kind of landed in a place where, you know, I have this house rhythm section now of, of, of Art Hirahara and Boris Kozlov and Rudy Royston. And these are three guys who I consider friends, you know, who I talk, we talk on the phone. We talk about other things that aren't about work or gigs or music. And, and so when COVID happened um, and I was trying to figure out like how we're going to have records for next year, you know, my wife right. is a professor at USC, she teaches English. My son is going to school remotely at LA Unified School District. And I'm like listening to what people are talking about. Like I'm going to do asynchronous and synchronous stuff. And, and right. the kids are going to form a pod and, and all this. Other. And, and so I said, well, I, I could do that. I, I could do some asynchronous production. I could do some synchronous production. I could form a pod. And so I took those guys, those three guys, Art, Boris, and Rudy, and I formed a pod. And so we discussed that we would shut it down and we would do this thing. And I have a studio we work at in Brooklyn, Michael Burby's acoustic recording. And I said, well, Michael, here's what we want to do. And we'll only have these limited people and we'll bring one person in and we'll do a thing. And then we'll take two weeks off and everybody will isolate. And so, and so that's how we've been working. And like I, I can say that like this thing about the, the repertory thing really contained a power that I didn't, I didn't realize until working in under these situations because the level at which professional musicians will show up and do their job, which is to play a chart right. correctly or what is different than people who come in and who are emotionally invested in playing together. Uh, and so, you know, Boris described them as an instrument. Now the three of them have become an instrument. And so now you take a person to put them in front of this instrument, like, we just did a record with uh, Alex Sipiaga and the trumpet players and a guy, a mid-career guy who's come to the label. And it's just an amazing process to see this because the listener really wins. Because li right. that's great, but the listener really wins because, you know, nobody actually does anything because it's a smart thing to do. They do it because <laughs> it's emotionally fulfilling. Like you may think you bought that car because it was car and drivers, uh, whatever. Right. Top rated, whatever. Yeah. You bought it because the emotional reason is you wanted a new car. You liked the lines. You liked the, those comfort or you liked the speed or you some feeling thing that you really like that you want. It's always like that. It's always an emotional thing that the reason that we prefer things. 
And so the more emotionality and the more intimacy that there is in a thing, you know, you can sense it. What I think, I think it's, uh, I think I'm paraphrasing, but I think it's Emerson who said, you know, what you are speaks so loud, I can't hear a word you're saying. Um, <laughs> but but the, the, the emotionality and the presence of something is so much larger than the, than the, 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 the verbal part of it, the non-verbalization right. that happens. And I think it impacts people. They can, you can, you can feel it. The audience is much more sophisticated than people want to give them credit for. You know, I mean, so, someone can, you know, maybe the drummer in a band like Billy Higgins said, "As goes the drummer, so goes the band." And like, maybe you got a drummer who like he speeds up or slows down or doesn't. Like, someone doesn't say to you, "Oh, I don't like that band. The drummer isn't rock steady." They just say, "I don't know. They're they're great, but I, I don't really like them." Right. Just emotionally respond to that. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I once challenged somebody, like, tell me a super successful rock band that doesn't have a great drummer. And they're like, uh, and I'm like, done. Sorry. Um, <laughs> can't do it. Because Billy Higgins was right, as usual. But right. uh, but the point I'm getting to is that um, when you offer people something more satisfying than just something that's nimble-fingered or quick-witted or right. overtly challenging. Right. Or, or purposefully dissonant, you know, perhaps you can engage them uh, with what you're doing in a way that makes them happy, makes them feel involved. On an emotional level, yeah. This brings us back to that word swing, which, um, you know, I I, uh, I hate to say that uh, some guy who made some documentary, uh, Ken Burns, uh, was, uh, was, was right about anything, but, you know, he was right to point attention towards uh, – Duke Ellington and and Louis Armstrong. They are really very important people for a lot of reasons. More about who they were as people than necessarily musicians, although it's arguable. But Duke has those two sayings, you know, about like, you know, there are two kinds of music. Right. The, the kind you like and the other kind, which isn't <laughs> saying it's good or it's bad. It's just saying you, Brian, like it or you, Brian, don't like it. And right. that's all there is. It's like it's either your cup of tea or it's not. But one man's trash is another man's treasure. But the second phrase is the test, which is it doesn't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Now, mm. for those folks in music school, he's not talking about an implied triple feel with emphasis upon the second and third triplet played over a 4-4 four, four meter. He's right. not passing some spangalang thing. Right. Swing, if were I to be so old as to have a copy of Roger's Thesaurus and whip it out and look at the word swing, I might see another word like rock it's, it's swinging it's rocking yeah it, it right moves if it it's, doesn't if it doesn't move you right it doesn't mean anything now it could move your mind it could move your feet it could be dance music yeah it could move your butt it could be funky it could be it could move your heart it could move your soul your spirit but it's got to move something yes if it doesn't touch to some emotional Set something vibrating, resonating, yeah. Then, it, then it's useless. Right. I've always said that. The most out there stuff can absolutely swing as much as the most in the pocket, you know, boom, bap, spang, a lang stuff. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. And, and you just touched on like, you know, that's like the thing with the out thing. It's like I, I say to people, you know, who can't like latch onto it. Like, you know, the first time I heard Charlie Parker, it was like going so fast. I just thought I was like, right. Right. Like, oh, you know, oh, this is crazy, but I, I couldn't follow it. You know, the first time I heard Eric Dolphy's Out to Lunch record, I was like, well, I, I don't know about this. It's really overwhelming. I mean, I, I was a kid, you know. But, right. <laughs> um, 
you know, but the point is, is that like, when you see these people live, you sense the interaction. You sense when they're in, right. If you saw art ensemble of Chicago, like these guys are deeply Roscoe Mitchell and Jim. They're in each other's heads, you know? Um, Did we freeze? I don't know. I think we did, but anyways, they're in each other's heads in a way that, uh, you wouldn't believe unless you well, saw have, There we go. I'm back. You're I back. froze. I froze, but I'm agreeing with you wholeheartedly. Right. But I, but um, that's the thing. Like, so, you know, like the Sam rivers uh, record, like I was totally captivated. Like I, it, like if you had seen that band, you'd like, Oh, it's perfect. I totally get what's going on. You know, something like it's too crazy. The instrumentation is changing all the time, right. uh, but it's still really swinging. It's still really, yeah. you know, gets up and goes and there's a melody and in you the can truest sense it. of the term. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And so, I mean, that, that's really, like the most important, you know, thing. So to me, like trying to provide people with some something quality that they can turn to, because I mean, maybe I'm saying too much here for people who who were of a certain age, but I know people are really excited about getting young people into jazz. And I, I and I think it's important too. And I, I got it, not like I didn't have it in the home or was exposed. But look, you're always going to love that music that you love that you're from when you're like, 11 to 26 or seven, eight, you're going to love that. You know, I'm going to put that music on and always feel good about it, you know, whatever. But there's a point where you kind of outgrow it, you know, and the new music that's happening isn't speaking to you in the same way. And that's when I see people, they, you know, they go to classical music or they go to bluegrass or they go to where, or they go to jazz. Right. I'd like to be that when we bring them here to jazz, that we've built a nice bridge for them to bring them over and say, here's something that would appeal to your sensibilities that you already have. Right. That will be engaging for you emotionally, just like this music that you already like. like right. Just trying to bring those, those, you know, for lack of a better word, pop. Oh my God, pop. Aesthetics to jazz in a way and 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 do that. And 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 that's a different approach. And that's how things are different because someone was asking me, like, well, what makes the records different? I said, Well, first of all, they're produced. That that's a big difference because a lot of guys are just going in the studio and just they have letting it all hang out. They're making musicians music or it's patronage or whatever it is. So like, you know, I get some grief from some guys because, you know, they grew up listening to this music from the fifties and sixties and like, how come the tracks are so short? And I'm like, you think six minutes is short. I'm like (laughs) two and a half minutes. I mean, let me put on, let me put on this bird dial track for you. Right. Listen to Coco. That's short. Okay. 90 seconds of yeah. Lightning. Two minutes and 25 seconds. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, but, um, uh, uh, you know, but the thing is that, you know, people don't have the attention spans. They don't have the listening endurance that they once had. And so you have to get thing. Like, like I can't, I can't make a record like dark side of the moon. I can't have a 45 second fade in. <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> this big ethereal wind chimes thing that then like suddenly we finally kick in, like they're just going to hit skip, skip, skip. Right. Right. Uh, so, I mean, so we have to bring those aesthetics to the thing. And yeah, you know, on some level, I'm, I'm not trying to recreate, you know, Blue Note records of the 1950s and 60s because I don't just want to give somebody six songs because, you know, musicians are funny. They're very funny. Um, you know, I was a musician. I love music. Like a guy named Steve Morris was my idol, this guitar player. We go to the Dixie Drakes play and it's all guitar players and a yeah. couple, <laughs> couple, of girl, couple of girlfriends who got like dragged along. But like, it's all guitar players and like drummers and they're all like, you know, we're all pinned like like and that's great but like you know if if music was a sandwich 
like musicians want like a little piece of bread and then like a three foot thing of meat and cheese or whatever. And then a little piece of bread on top. And we're like, head in and then solo and then solo and then solo and then solo. And then there's a little head out. And then, okay, that was great. I love that. Somebody put on impressions for me. Let's right. three, seven choruses of D minor. Um, <laughs> it's engaging if you're that type of person. When you're, If you're in the mood for chops. Yeah. If you're in, or or if you're if you're on that in, in into that depth with that yes. particular set of emotions that are going on at the time, which are not right most peaceful things, but most people would rather have you come around with a nice plate of tasty finger sandwiches. It's like oh, it's a little bit of this bread with this thing, and a little bit of this, and it's a different taste of this. Like and so trying to provide people with a wide variety of of palatable, you know, for lack of, I don't call it digestible. It's a weak sense of the word, but like you know. Uh, palatable, digestible, uh, you know, portions of, of tastes and styles to help them become hooked on this music. Yeah. Decide that they, they actually, it isn't dead, that it isn't dead, that it doesn't taste funny, that it is quite enjoyable. Uh, yeah, man. But that's, but that's, that's the thing you're going with because we, we have these huge enemies out there who are spreading a lot of very bad information, which is why jazz is, is a very important magazine. You know Why? Because that? it's a lifestyle magazine. That's right. Because jazz is a lifestyle. We use a hashtag. Sometimes you might see saying live jazz is fun, but it's actually live jazz is fun to be living that life of jazz, yeah. which is the clothes and the art and the food and the drinks and the music and the dancing and the hugging. And being open-eared and adventurous and what you listen to. And yeah, it's it's a complete package, man. You know, I'll tell you what I do miss uh, for about being older and the kind of distance and the busyness and things like I used to really love, I used to go to the record store every Thursday, every Thursday I go to the uh -huh. record and then we would convene at one of my friend's houses on the weekend on usually a Saturday and everybody would take turns playing a song from something that they picked up this week. And we'd have a listening party and like nice. that, you know, yeah. like sitting down with each other yes. and like turning each other onto things and like yeah, another thing by somebody who we knew we liked that we found, Oh, you never like, that's like the greatest thing ever. And that's, and that's the thing that jazz really lends it to. It's not like, Oh, have you heard that hit that everybody heard that was on TikTok? Probably been <laughs> right. three million times. Oh yeah. You want to hear it again for 45 seconds with me? Oh yeah. Great. Let's put one up your butt in my ear and you put the other one in your ear. Let's lean together on the subway. Oh wow. Cool. No, that's not cool. Right. <laughs> human to human baby. Mark, we will end as we always do with some questions. And we have one sure. from our friend, Mark Sutton, who says, I have freedom. By Oren on CD. Are you going to bring it out on vinyl? Oh, the vinyl question. The vinyl man. game. Oh, it's it's a tough question. Uh, Freedom is a great record. I love making that record. Yeah, they, and thanks for the question, Mark. Appreciate it. It's it's all about uh, it, it's all about Philadelphia. That record, Philadelphia Freedom. All the all the players were all from Philly, and and the solo songs were all from Philly. And there's you know the stuff like that on there. Um, but the 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 costs of of making things on vinyl versus uh, the other ways is extremely prohibitive. I, I, I love vinyl. And if I knew, like, for example, if we did a campaign and I said, okay, well, if 350 people agree to pre-buy uh, this record, uh, uh, then we'll press it because then I know I'm, because it's very expensive and it's difficult to ship and it's difficult to store. And in the end, like we were trying to support artists who were taking these things on the road with them. And I can tell you like, a box that has a hundred CDs in it is a lot easier to carry around than a gigantic, like I think it's like a cinder block. Of, yeah. Um, but I, I wish we, I wish it was not so prohibitive. I'd like to do it. We, we're constantly talking about a project 
that we might do it on. You know, I mean, I was, you know, considering the idea of like, you know, maybe it would be a greatest hits record, but like he brings up a good album with, with Oren's record freedom. You know, I, I, I've, I've thought there's a couple things in there that, you know, maybe we could do. Um, but it, again, it would have to be, there would have to be enough demand to, to warn it because I mean, first of all, like give me an example, like it takes six months, it takes six months to get the thing pressed, you right. know, if you want quality press and then, you know, the shipping, I mean, like people aren't aware of like what's happened to shipping, but like something that I used to ship for a dollar 35 now costs four thirty-five, And I, a record I think is, I think it's up over nine dollars now to ship an lp wow um, wow i mean it would be so expensive and i'm just like you know most people the consumer is always right they 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 want to stream things I, I mean like it's not really great financially for us but like i have to go like well i used to sell two thousand records and make a certain amount of money and now now i've got you know two hundred thousand streams and i'm reaching all these other people but i'm making 60 percent of the money you know yeah um, no, so. I know. That's <laughs> a conversation for another episode, man. We'll uh, we'll have to leave it here. And it's, it has been awesome talking with you, Mark. If people want to follow along with Positone, see what's coming out. Uh, what is the next album coming out for you guys? Well, we don't have we don't have another record coming out until January. But the next okay. record will be this record by the new face. Right on, right on. Sounds all all people who you probably haven't checked out before. We got Ad Myerson and Marcus Howell and Nicole Glover and Brandon Lee. Kaylee O'Doherty and Corey Cox. Uh, it's it's a it's a really good record, and uh, um, I'm very excited about that. And there's, we have a lot of great records coming out next year. Diego Rivera. We got a Mike Deese record. I've got a, a Ben Galise record. Of course, another Art Hero and Alexa Tarantino records coming, and there'll be a bunch of other exciting stuff. Maybe a Will Bernard record. Some other things that we try to sneak out. Beautiful man. Well, we'll we'll look for you at Positone.com. Posi P O S I dash T O N E dot com. Yes. Yes, the, the quick story about that is that we put names in a fishbowl, Brian, about yeah. what, the adjectives, because that's what preference is about adjectives, of what we yeah. wanted to have. And the three that we came up with was positive and tone and experience. So we hyphened them. So that's why it's a hyphen, posi, tone, and then the positone experience. So that Love it, great. man. Love uh, it. I will be checking it out. Mark, appreciate it, man. This is a pleasure. No problem. Thank All you right, so Mark. much. So Stay long, right. everyone. Stay safe. Bye now. Yep, you too. See ya.